Hey, if you've got a Bible with you today, uh, I want to invite you to take it and turn to the Gospel of John uh, in the New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible, we keep some in the back. There's a table of them when you walk in. You're welcome to grab one of those and you can keep it. Uh, we'd like for you to have a Bible and so feel free to, to take that as a gift from us. Uh, we'll also put some words up on the screen, but John chapter 4. And uh, we shared some big news just a couple of weeks ago at our outdoor service. We all got together in one place at Federal Hills Common or Federal Hill Commons. And uh, in case you missed that big news, I'm excited to announce that Genesis is partnering with some other churches around the country to help start a brand new multicultural church in the city of Miami, Miami, Florida. And it's called Reality Church. It's located just a few minutes away from the University of Miami campus. Um, our Noblesville worship pastor, Justin Tunmore, uh, he and his wife Kelly had served in the Miami area for a couple of years and built some great relationships while they were serving at a church down there. Well, it's some of their friends that are now starting this brand new church. And uh, so Justin and Kelly have helped, helped us make that connection. And so Justin and I went down there about a month ago and just spent a couple of days uh, with the pastoral team there and getting to know them, just trying to better understand what partnership uh, with a new church plant might look like. And so we came back, we were so encouraged, and after prayer and discussion, I'm excited to announce that we've made a four-year commitment to serve uh, alongside a pastor, Carlos Lillette, and uh, his team with Reality Church. And and partnership just means that we're going to make that commitment to pray for them as a church. Uh, We're going to come alongside of them and serve as they need help, and so we're hoping to send some teams down to Miami. Uh, in the near future, and then we're also going to support them financially and uh, just help them as they're getting started. And so I want to introduce you to Pastor Carlos in reality. Uh, Check out the short video message from him. My name is Carlos Olet, and I want to invite you to partner with me as we plant a gospel-centered church that shows and shares the love of Jesus in the heart of Miami. I came to know Jesus because two missionaries from the Midwest, Marjorie Johnson and Esther Carson, trusted that God had called them to the plains of Venezuela. And they moved there and they shared the gospel with my grandmother, who then shared it with my mom. And they both shared it with me until I came to know and love Jesus Christ. And in the same way, I want you to help me share that great gospel with the people of Miami. People like my own family who migrate to the United States to experience liberation, sometimes from oppression, And while they experience the blessings of this country, they can also be crushed by the broken promises of the American dream. People like my neighbor, an Eastern European artist with a wife and two children, who are trying to find their way in this global city of Miami. And here's what I want my neighbor to see. Here's the kind of church I want him to see. A gospel-centered church. Because the gospel is the best news for those, not only who are far away from God, but also for his children who need Jesus' grace even on their best day. I wanted to see a church for all people, where the gospel bridges racial, cultural, and economic divides. I wanted to see a church for Monday, where he can see how the gospel isn't just for an hour on Sunday morning, but it actually affects the 168 hours of his week. I want him to see a dependent church that pursues intimacy with God in prayer and relies on the power of the Spirit especially in the middle of a city that strives to find satisfaction in external things like money, sex, and power. I want him to see ascending church because we have a mission to make disciples and preach the gospel until the whole earth hears. At the end of the day, 
We just want the church to be the church. And what an opportunity to see it established in Miami, a strategic global city with millions of people who don't know Jesus. When we touch Miami with the gospel, we're not only touching Miami, but we get to touch the entire world. So I want to invite you to join me in this mission by praying for us, by investing financially, and perhaps just like with Esther and Marjorie, by moving to Miami to serve together side by side in reaching people for Jesus Christ. I, I love that video, and I look forward to you meeting Pastor Carlos in the future. I mean, he's a, a phenomenal guy with a great story, a lot of passion, too. And I love that vision that they have. You know, if you can reach the, the, the people of Miami, like you have the potential of really reaching the world. And that's exciting for us because as we talk about our greater initiative, one of the priorities of that initiative is we want to be a part of changing the world. And well, this is an example of being able to do uh, just that. And so, thank you. Thank you so much for your support and for your prayers, for your giving giving back to Genesis uh, through greater. I mean, it's because of these things that we are able to come alongside of reality uh, and support them in their work. And I just love the thought that there are going to be people who find their way back to God through Reality Church, and we're going to be able to say that we got to play a small part uh, in that. And he said that about moving to Miami, and you might think he's joking, but... uh, We'll ask again in January uh, when it's cold outside, but you know, if you know people in Miami or maybe God's doing something crazy in your life and you're thinking about something like that, we'd be happy to introduce you uh, to Pastor Carlos and his team. But they're meeting this morning. They're worshiping right now. This is their second Sunday meeting together as a church, so we're going to pray for them right now. And so if you'll bow your heads with me, let's pray for for Carlos and for reality. reality. Father, thank you for what you're doing through the lives of, of Pastor Carlos and his wife and his team and Reality Church, and uh, they're meeting this morning, Lord, and I just pray that as they meet and as they worship together, uh, that that room would be filled with the presence of Jesus, and that as Carlos talks about, that the gospel, the good news would be known and loud and clear, and that lives would be changed, and I pray that in the days and months and years to come, Lord, that you'll continue to bless them and provide for them and lead them as a church. Thank you that Genesis gets to be a small part of it, and uh, Father, we pray you continue to stretch us and give us great faith. Thank you for partnerships like these. Thank you that we get to be a part of helping people find their way back to God all around the world, and uh, we are trusting you, Lord, and thank you for your presence here with us today. Uh, God, we invite you into this place and for this time now to move in our hearts and lives as we want to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you heard Pastor Carlos uh, use this word over and over again. It's this word, the gospel. And maybe that's a new word to you. Uh, In case it is new to you, it just simply means good news. Uh, It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the first four books of the New Testament, the second half of our Bible, are often called the gospels because they just simply tell the good news about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you've been following along in our individual reading plan, as we've been reading through the Bible this year, uh, you've made your way through Matthew. Matthew and Mark by now. Our reading plan takes us through John this week. Probably wondering, why did we skip Luke? Well, we're going to come back to Luke. We'll start Luke later this week, and then we'll talk about Luke each of the next two weeks. But today we want to talk about John. And so again, if you've got a Bible, we're in the book of John today. Find John. Maybe you're wondering, who in the world is John? Well, this is John, the son of Zebedee, uh, brother of James, and one of the senior apostles among the 12 who were close to Jesus. And it's widely believed that, that John wrote the gospel of John 
John. And not only that, but that he's going to write the three letters of John that come a little later in the New Testament and eventually compose the book of Revelation. And he's the one reclining to Jesus, next to Jesus at the Last Supper. Uh, it was John who was with Jesus' mother at the foot of the cross at his death. It was John who ran with Peter to investigate the empty tomb. And he was among those who the risen Jesus appeared to along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he's often called the beloved disciple or the disciple that Jesus uh, loved. And that's because he had a close personal friendship with Jesus. Now, John, like Matthew, like Mark and Luke, he provides us with his gospel here, an account of the life and teachings of Jesus. And in case you're wondering to yourself, well, why do we have four different accounts? And if you've, if you've spent some time in the Bible before, you know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell a lot of the same things, but there's some different things there too. What are they up to? Well, it's a good question. And, and, and as Steve talked about last week, you know, perspective can be helpful. Viewpoints are helpful. I mean, each of these has written and they've written to different audiences. They've kind of got different themes in, in mind. But again, perspective is helpful. Consider this. Like I, I got to go, somebody gave me tickets to the Colts game last Sunday. And so uh, I went after church. We sat in the 300 section about halfway up in the corner of the end zone. I, I have some other friends that went and sat right on the 50-yard line. All right, great seats. I, I looked up, if you've been to Lucas Oil before, to the tip top. That's where I usually sit. If I buy tickets, that's where I sit. But, you know, people were up in the, the upper rows and maybe you were watching the game on TV. It doesn't matter where you viewed it from. It was the same outcome, right? I mean, the Colts lost, all right? We, we all watched the same game, all right? But different perspectives. And when you've got different perspectives or viewpoints, you take different things uh, away from it. And then, so that's a little bit of, of John. The Gospels are like that. They, they're the same, they're similar, and yet different. And each has their own unique perspective, including John's. What's John's unique perspective? Well, he tells us. Towards the end of his gospel in John chapter 20, verse 31. I just think, I don't know if this is as true today as it was when I was a kid, but like when I was in high school, like our math textbooks, the answers were in the back. And so if you wanted to double check your work or if you didn't want to do it, like you just get the answers right out of the back. Well, that's kind of like John's gospel here. He's put the answer for why he wrote it in the back of the book. John chapter 20, verse 31. Here's what he writes. But these are written, John says, that you may believe. Here's why I wrote that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so three things John mentions here and demonstrates in his writing. First, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that Jesus is our source of life, and really, and ultimately, what John's up to is he is inviting us to believe, to put our faith in Jesus. And for some of you, that may mean to believe for the very first time. You know, that maybe you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ uh, before. And so to put your faith in him, to receive his forgiveness. You know, some of the words that we've been singing in these songs today, like he wants you to experience this new life that can only come from him. And so if you've ever wondered about Jesus, uh, if you've ever wanted to study Jesus, to understand Jesus more, John's gospel is great. It's perfect at helping you understand Jesus. But his hope is that by the time you read it and as you study it, that you will believe that you'll put your faith in him. But it's not just for those of, uh, of those that don't know Christ or have never confessed Christ. It's also for those of us who are following Jesus. His gospel is meant to increase our believing, all right, to get us believing even more, to give us even greater faith so that no matter what you go through, no matter what you come up against, no matter what tomorrow holds, 
or Wednesday holds, like you will know and understand that Jesus has everything that you need, uh, that he offers everything you need and more than that. And his hope then is, is as we read this, as we study it, as we talk about it here in a place like today, as you study it in your connection group, that your faith will be strengthened and that you will believe in Jesus more than when you started. I, I want to give you a brief overview today of the gospel of John. And to do that, I want to address the three things that I think John is up to in his writing. And the first one is this, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And John opens his words with, uh, excuse me, John opens in John 1 with these words. Let's look at them together. John chapter 1 verse 1. If you're turning back, these words might sound a little familiar to you, uh, maybe another place in your Bible. But notice how intentional John is when he says, in the beginning was the Word, which is another way of describing Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But note those words, in the beginning. You know, N.T. Wright explains how John, what he's doing is he is tearing back the curtain right now to help us see that Jesus is a new Genesis. This is a new beginning. This is a new beginning, a new effort from the Lord. He's describing this new beginning, this new day as Jesus comes rushing onto the scene. And with the next few verses of John 1, John continues to build on the case by showing us that Jesus was with God in the very beginning, that he was a part of creation, that he was sent from heaven by God, that he is fully God, but that he became human like us when he came to earth, which means that he was like us in every way except for the fact that he did not sin. You will often hear us say that Jesus lived life the way life was intended to be lived here on this earth. And his description, John's description of Jesus doesn't stop there. It's going to continue over and over again throughout the pages of the book of John. I mean, in fact, John, really what he's doing here is he's narrating a story uh, in his gospel, one that describes Jesus as a prophet uh, sent by God to Israel, that Jesus Jesus is a, a teacher sharing, you know, all throughout Galilee and in places like Judea that Jesus is this miracle worker reaching out and touching the lives of the down and out and, and hurting. And John is very intentional. He's very intentional with this gospel and in his writing. In fact, the more you study it, the, the more you read it, you're going to find that he is uh, very unique. He, there, again, there's all of these intentional efforts on his part as he thinks about the audience that he's writing to. For example, John's gospel includes seven miracles or signs. Uh, there's the water to wine, the healing of the nobleman's son, the miracle uh, of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water event, Jesus healed the blind man and he raised Lazarus uh, from the dead. Now, are these the only miracles that Jesus performed? No, likely not, but these are the only ones that John includes. He picked seven of them and he was intentional about it because each miracle is intended to, 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 pro to provide further evidence, again, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. But just there, in case there were any questions about that, not only does he have seven miracles, but John also includes seven I am statements of Jesus. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life and I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the gate that opens the door, that I, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the true vine. And if you remember from the book of Exodus, 
God revealed himself to Moses with the decisive I am statement. And so these seven I am statements of Jesus included by John are to leave no doubt about who Jesus is and who Jesus claimed to be. And John has included them again to advance this goal of convincing us and reminding us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of God. But the greatest evidence that not only John includes, but the other gospel writers for Jesus as Messiah may be found towards the end of the book as John recaps the events surrounding Jesus' betrayal, uh, his arrest, his trial and crucifixion and his death, and then the good news. In fact, we call it the best news of all, and that is that the tomb of Jesus is empty, that there are no remains there in that tomb to this day, that God raised him from the dead and he was discovered alive 2,000 years ago by people like John and he's still alive today and we know and believe that he is with the Father in heaven now and as Christians, we have this hope. We cling to this hope. Some days more than others that Jesus Christ is going to return one day and Jesus told us and John records it. In John chapter 14, in verse 1, when Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. And can I just say that if any of you are here today and your heart is troubled right now, whatever the circumstances may be, I pray that God may use even these words for you today to encourage you as he did his disciples. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And to that, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. What are you talking about? How can we know the way? And Jesus replied, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And as Christians and as a church, we we have this hope of knowing that Jesus Christ is with God in heaven and that he will return again one day. And when he does, there will be no more pain. There's going to be no more suffering. There'll be no more pandemics. Uh, There'll be no more division. There'll be no more fighting and, and arguing. There'll be no more politics, right? But Jesus will come again one day and we will live with Jesus forever. And that should offer us so much hope and so much promise for the future. But today too, like this, this glorious news, this great hope is for today as well. And that's another important aspect of John's writing. Like he's writing so that we would know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, Son of God. But he also wants us to know and to realize that Jesus is our source of life. That he is our source of life. You know, Matthew used the word life seven times in his gospel. Mark once. Luke uses it seven times. John uses the word life over 22 times more than anyone else. And not only here in this gospel, but also later on in what we know as 1 John, in 1 John chapter 5, when John says this about Jesus. And he says, and this is the testimony. Basically, here's my story. Here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's what I'm seeing do for, uh, him do for others. God has given us eternal 
eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe, this sounds familiar, in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. What's the message of John's words here? God has given us eternal life. He's made a way. He's provided it for us. Life is in his Son, Jesus. He says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son doesn't have life. He says, I write these things to you, to you so that you will discover this eternal life. I think John's trying to tell us something here about life. And what's the powerful message? Jesus. Jesus is our source of life. The word life is the Greek word zoe. In English, it's the word zoe. All right, but the word zoe, it means more than just being alive and breathing. It's this real and genuine life full of, of joy. It can also be described as the fullness of life. It's a, a rich, a satisfying sort of life. And John talks about this kind of life and how it is only available to us through Jesus Christ. And when you think about it, this is what I think. I, I think we all and when I say all, I mean church people, non-church people, new to church, long time around the church, agnostic. You're not sure what you think about anything. I think we all crave the kind of life that John's referring to here, whether we realize it or not. C.S. Lewis uh, called it the inconsolable longing in each of us. And here's what he, he says about this craving in every single one of us, whether you know the Lord or not, but it's in every single one of us. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He says, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. He says, it is the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desired before we met our wives or chose our work and which we shall still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife, friend, or work. Basically this, there's something in every single one of us. There's something in each of us that believes there's gotta be more. That this craving, that something else has to be going on, that this can't be all that there is. It's a craving for something greater, something more satisfying than what we're experiencing right now. And maybe it's what Solomon had in mind when he wrote Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, and said that he, God, has also put eternity in the human heart. That again, for every single one of us, there's a longing for more. And what John knows, what I'm discovering not perfect at, still trying to figure out what many of you maybe would say too is that this longing, this life is only found in Jesus Christ. This, this craving, this hope that we all desire, the answers that we all go searching for each and every day can only be found in Jesus. And as John describes seven miracles and as he includes seven I am statements, his gospel also includes seven unique encounters that Jesus had with people like you and me, like John the Baptist and Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the, the royal official and son, the man at the pool of Bethesda, the man who was born blind, Lazarus, and his sisters Mary and Martha. You've read about some of them if you're following along or you'll read them this week. But each encounter uh, kind of presents its own unique circumstances, but every one is a powerful demonstration of who Jesus is and what he's like and his great and amazing love, his compassion, his ability to relate with anyone 
And each is also meant to serve as an example of the life that only Jesus can give. Like we, we see it in Jesus' encounter in John chapter one with, with John the Baptist. Like, you know, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he says to him, you are the lamb of God. Like you are the one that we've been waiting for. Like the implication is life is in you. Or in John chapter three, when Jesus has this interaction with Nicodemus and Jesus says to him, I'm the source of eternal life. Like believe in me and experience this new birth, this new life that can only come from God. And, and then there's the encounter with the Samaritan woman who had been in all of these relationships and none of them had worked out and she's in a difficult place and, and, and she's rejected by all of the people around her. And, and so Jesus basically says, you know, you've been looking for satisfaction and all these other things. He helped her to see that the satisfaction she desired and we all desired can only be found first through him. There was the man at the pool of Bethesda that only knew pain and suffering uh, and for most of his life, and, and Jesus offered him another chance. He offered him new life. He offered him a way through. And then finally, with Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha, Lazarus was a friend. Uh, two sisters, Mary and Martha, they were all close with Jesus. News gets to Jesus that Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha are grieving the loss, and Jesus grieves with them too. And in fact, the words are that Jesus wept. That, that he, he wept with them. And, and why? why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, remember, he was human like us. And so I, I think he grieved with his friends as they were grieving this loss. He, I think at the same time, he was grieving the brokenness of the world. And I think he grieved at the realization of what his life and his death on the cross and his resurrection would finally uh, accomplish, which we know is what inspired his words in John chapter 11 when he told them, I am the resurrection and the life. This is Jesus' way of saying, I am the source of life. I am the satisfaction that we've all been looking for, that Jesus is the help that we need, that Jesus is the one that offers us eternal life, which means so much for the future. But what we often forget is it means so much for today too. I mean, Jesus said this about his life and this eternal life in John chapter 17, verse three. He says, now this is eternal life. You wanna know what Zoe is? You know how to achieve this and enter into it? that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Like, this is the life that Jesus offers. It doesn't just start at death. I mean, it's a promise for us as death is before us, but it begins, this eternal life, when we enter into a relationship with God. The word uh, for know here is the word gnosko. It means so much more than just knowledge. This is more than just facts. This is more than just information. But this is a knowledge about God, about Jesus, that comes to us and grows in us the more and the more we spend time with the Lord, the more and more we spend time with Jesus in his word. Uh, scholar Kent Hughes says this, the, the benefits about our time with Jesus, uh, our time in, in the word, our time talking about these kinds of things, worshiping together as a church family, worshiping with your, your connection group. Here, here's what he says about this, this ongoing interaction. He says, the serious student of John, the gospel of John, will find that each time he or she returns to John's words, Jesus gets a little bit bigger. And he goes on to say, something like Lucy's experience with the lion Aslan the Christ symbol in C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia as Lucy gazed into his large wise face. And if you've read the books or seen the movie, you know the moment that 
Aslan says to Lucy, again, this line says to Lucy, welcome child. And she replies, Aslan, you're bigger. And, and he says back to her, that's because you're older, little one. And not because you are, replied Lucy. And then Aslan looked to her and said, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love those words. C.S. Lewis says, every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And that's what John wants. And that's what Jesus wants. Like Jesus wants us to know and grow in our faith. Uh, John wants us to see that the more we know Jesus, the more we encounter Jesus, the bigger and bigger and bigger Jesus becomes for each of us. And here's something that's really cool. Like the same Jesus that we read about in the Gospel of John is the same Jesus available to us. And there's life in that. So that when we read the Samaritan woman's story, we'll remember that as Jesus extended her grace and forgiveness, that he continues to offer his grace and forgiveness to us no matter what we do. He'll do the same for us. Or when we're stuck and worn out in our sin, our anxiety, our pain, our, our, our physical limitations, like we'll see, like the man at the pool of Bethesda, that Jesus can heal us from our pain and suffering, that he can set us free and he can offer us new life and also like with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that in our grieving, that in our deep loss and in our deep hurt, we'll remember that there is more to this life than we can see, that this life is temporary, that we are just strangers passing through to something better on the other side. And how and why do we know that? Well, we know that because Jesus defeated death and he defeated suffering and he is our Messiah and he is our Savior and he's our life for today and for tomorrow and everything that is to come. And so what's our response? What should our response be to these great truths about Jesus as our Messiah and as our source of life? Well, what does John say we should do? Again, John 20, 31, he says, but these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John just simply says this, I want you to believe. I, I want you to put all of your faith and hope in Jesus. I, I want you to put all the chips in the center when it comes to your faith and your love and your trust for the Lord. You believe and then keep on believing. See, our relationship with Jesus Christ begins when we believe. You know, it begins in the moment that you profess your faith, that you surrender your life to the Lord and put your faith and trust in him. But John says it shouldn't end there, that the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we keep on believing. We keep growing in our faith and our trust in Jesus. And that the more time we spend in his word and in book like, books like John's, guess what? Jesus keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger for us. And that even in our hardships and even in our pain, that Jesus can show up in our lives in such a way that even when we're just barely hanging on, that he can give us great strength and great faith and trust in him. N.T. Wright says this about John's gospel. He says, John's gospel calls us to faith, a rich, deep faith, an energetic faith, a faith that keeps on abiding in Jesus, a faith that, that can survive denials and doubts, a faith that can overcome the worlds because Jesus has already overcome the world for us. Make no doubt about it. John's book is about Jesus from first to last. He shows us that Jesus can be believed, that he can be trusted, that he can be obeyed, and we should worship him. And why? Because he has the words of eternal life. 
you know, because Jesus laid down his life for his friends. You know, it is Jesus that's our good shepherd, the lamb of God, the true vine, the one who takes away all the sins of the world and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the only truth and he is our life and he offers his life to you. He gives it freely. He offers it freely to every person, to every person here today, to every person in your life right now who doesn't know the Lord Jesus' life is continuously available to each of us. Do you know his life? Do you know the power of his life and his redeeming work in you? You can. You can. All you need to do is just open yourself up to the, the greatest decision you will ever make in your life is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to trust him with your life and everything that you will ever need. And he is constantly and continuously making himself available to you. It may be part of the reason why some of you are here today to hear this message, to know the truth, to respond to that truth, that he is available to you, that you can reach out to him today and we can help. Because maybe you need to talk to somebody about that. Maybe you've got some questions. Maybe you'd like to pray with somebody. We're available. We would love to stay and talk with you today or at any point throughout the week. But one last thing, you know, I said that John's book is about Jesus from beginning to end, but it's not just about Jesus. It's about you too and me and each of us because Jesus came into the world to bring life, to be light so that you and I can be light and life to others as well. Jesus said it at the end of John's gospel near the end of the time before he ascended into heaven. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And that's what Pastor Carlos and Reality Church are doing in Miami. They're saying yes to Jesus in this. This is what we're making every effort to do as a church. We believe we're here on earth in this community for a reason, for a purpose. We want to say yes to Jesus' commission, his invitation to serve him, to be light and life to the communities that he has called us to. But you have to say yes. You know, he says, I, I am sending you. And are you saying yes to him today? He's got people in your life. He's got a mission for you. He's ordained every day of your life here on this earth. He'll provide for every single one of your needs. He he wants to use you and me if we'll say yes to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love and for your grace for us. We thank you for the powerful reminder that Jesus Christ is our Messiah, our Lord, our source of life. And as John is inviting and Jesus does too, he just, Jesus just says, more faith, more faith. And I pray that for those of us here today that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that we will say yes today. And I pray that, you know, we, we will experience, you will experience Jesus in ways like we haven't before and that you'll keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger for us. Father, you know every circumstance here today. I think every single one of us would say, I, I got something in my life. I need Jesus. I need you bigger in it right now. I need you greater in that right now. Oh, give us faith. Give us faith to believe. And give someone today faith to believe for the first time and has never surrendered their life to you before. 
And if that's you, you can turn to Jesus today wherever you're seated. Just tell him. Just, just speak the words that are on your heart right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive me. Do something new in me today. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for the Zoe life, the fullness and satisfying life you offer to each of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.